Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards, and joining me, we have Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good evening, Luke. Good to see you. And also with us, we have a woozy Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Hello, Luke. You're going to have to explain that. Yeah, Chris has had his booster, but then he, uh, he sensibly went out and had a couple of drinks as well, and he's feeling a bit rough now, aren't you, Chris? Yeah, double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the advice is if you have your booster, don't go out and have a couple of drinks after. Yeah, definitely. And, and I did pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to look back, first of all, at the FA Cup results. And the biggest shock on the Saturday was Yeovil beating Stevenage, although some might say it's not a shock. Stevenage haven't got a manager at the minute. Fair play to Yeovil for that result. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, as you said, Luke, it's, it's absolutely no surprise to, to me or anyone else who watches uh, National League football because they're on a cracking run at the moment, aren't they? I think they've uh, they've won four out of the last five games in the league. Um, Darren Siles got them uh, playing some fantastic football. And um, I thought they fully deserved it yesterday as well. I thought Grant Smith was fantastic in net for them. So that that says that, you know, Stevenage did have opportunities. And it was a great finish from Charlie Wakefield as well. And um, I thought the narrative of Yeovil being the, um, I think they've as a non-league side, they've not more league opposition out than anyone else. I think it's 21 now. But um, yeah, it didn't feel it didn't feel like Yeovil the uh, the minnow giant killers um, as it has been in the past. Yeah, they're one of those sides, aren't they? That people just associate with FA Cup giant killing, don't they? They do. They've got a name that that goes back for it. You know, way back into um, you know the the middle of the last century. I think there's a famous victory where they had two 0 over Arsenal when they were when they were a non-league team. You know, we forget that Yeovil. Um, I, I think I saw some reference the other day about you know Yeovil trying to get back into the football league, and and people almost kind of forget that having been a football league side, you know, they were a non-league side before that, and and it, they're not exactly yo-yoing, but you know they've they've seen both sides of it, and um, yeah, I, I don't know with this with the way the national league is at the moment, and the, and the strength of the national league, <clears throat> I'm just not sure that any. National League side knocking out a side from from League Two should really be classed as that much of a shock. You know, we how many times each week we talk about the gap closing and and you know should it be three up three down and the EFL you know it's almost EFL Division Three. Well, you know, here's more evidence of that. Yeah, and we'll get onto that with Sunday's games very very shortly. But we've got a very special exclusive interview for you now. Rob caught up with Chesterfield manager. James Rowe and they had a good chat about everything and it's a very candid interview we saw a very different side to James Rowe in this interview so here is Rob now catching up with James Rowe. So we've very kindly been joined on the NL full-time podcast uh, for a bit of a considered chat with uh, Chesterfield manager James Rowe. James how are you great to see you. Very well how are you Rob? Yeah, keeping very well indeed. Uh, a little bit cheerier at the moment, <laughs> last few weeks. But um, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you. And uh, I think it's really, really good timing that you've been able to come on because you've had this slightly enforced break. That's the word people will use, break from the football, uh, from the National League action. But I know James Rowe very well. You won't have been taking any break at all, will you? Well, I need to now. My son, he's running right at home six months uh, so yeah, but no, we uh, we took a little bit of time. We needed to uh, look. We wanted to play Maidenhead on Saturday. We were preparing for that. It was out of our hands. Obviously, the the National League called it off. So we got an enforced break, like you said, and we gave some players some time off, some well earned time off because we've been working really hard. Um, and then we've been back in really since Tuesday. Obviously, full focus on Salford. So um, yeah, a little bit of an enforced four day break, which is nice. Yeah, and uh, going to Salford in the FA Cup. Is it Sunday 5, 5.15 kickoff? Yeah, it's Sunday 5.15. So um, we've changed training around a little bit um, just to try and get used to trying to start a little bit later than perhaps a three o'clock. So we've trained a little bit later and um, hopefully that will come to fruition come Sunday. You see, this is it, listeners. He doesn't miss a trick. James Rowe does not miss a trick. Uh, we'll come to that, James, in time. I want to ask you about the you know the, your particular style of management, but... 
let's dish out a few stats here because they are very worthy of of repeat. You've just completed your first year at Chesterfield uh, a few days back. um, And uh, when you took over, they were in 21st place in the National League. Uh, you went on a storming run. You managed to finish in a playoff spot, um, narrowly defeated in the playoffs. Uh, but in total, over the course of last season and this season, where, by the way, you're sitting right up the top of the league, you've picked up 101 points from 50 National League games with a win percentage above 60%. Um, that's fantastic progress. Um, really, really good stuff. And I know you'll say to me you haven't won anything yet, but uh, how have you found your first year in charge, James? And uh, and somewhere in that, you know, what's been your biggest test or your biggest learning point? Uh, humility, I think, because you have to keep grounded because like I said, like you just said there, we haven't won anything. We want to continue this form for the next five months and see where we are in May. I think that's the biggest one because obviously we've got a good support base here. Um, the crowds are coming back in, the, the attendances are rising. And that's probably the biggest learning is trying to reignite the community here. Um, and an example, the club shop was open last night. The players gave their time for the supporters and they're out the door. And there's different demographic of age as well. And, and male, female supporters, children, adults, etc. And we want to try and get that next generation of supporters in a, a club with great heritage. So that was the most important target that we wanted to hit and to inspire people. I think we've done that. And it's now a case of trying to progress it and achieve something if we can in May. Um, so that's probably been the biggest learning for me is, you know, trying to make sure the setbacks weren't big setbacks, trying to make sure losses didn't become two, three losses, which we've managed to do. I don't think we've lost three on a bounce yet. So, um, yes, we lost two on a bounce, I think, last season. Um, I think it was Sutton and, and another one. So we're making sure like the Woking defeat this year didn't um, cap, uh, spiral into two defeats or three defeats. And I think that's the importance of this level, being at this level now for five years as an assistant, as a coach, now a head coach or a manager. I think that's the biggest learning of the of the level is making sure you're consistent in your behaviours and consistent in your form. And we're managing to do that at the moment. But there's going to be uh, some adversity along the way in the next five months, I'm sure. And uh we're not going to have that all our own way. So uh, I'm expecting a big challenge in the next five months. I think most of our listeners would know James Rowe, that you worked alongside Gary Waddock, had a couple of successful seasons where all the shot reached the playoffs and then you made a cracking start at Gloucester, had them top of the National League North before you uh, joined Chesterfield. But what a lot of people, and myself included, don't really know is a little bit about, let's take you back. Um, to how and when and why you realised that you wanted to get into coaching and, and, and management, James. Take us back to uh, to when you were that young budding footballer and, and, and what was your story? What happened? Well, when I was playing, I always, I, I felt myself reflect or I, I knew I reflected a little bit more on my own performance and other people's performance and team performance. When I was playing a lot, I used to reflect a hell of a lot. And I used to drive long distances. So when I was a student at Nottingham Uni, I was playing for Histon when I was 18. So I used to drive back to Cambridgeshire three, four times a week in the Dr. Martin's Premier Division then. And I always found myself reflecting on those journeys. When you're driving, anyone that's driven a long distance for work or whatever, you always find yourself that time. And I think that started from there, really. I started um, studying the game a little bit more. And then I got the opportunity as a coach, as a 26-year-old, 27-year-old at Birmingham Uni, uh, Birmingham Football Club, sorry. And um, when they offered me the 16s job, I accepted it and stopped playing. I was playing at Leamington at the time. Um, I missed it for about a year and a half, two years. A couple of players that were actually in the youth team, then Fraser Kerr and Quasi Asante, actually joined me here now in my playing squad here. So it's gone full circle. So it's a nice story, that. Um, yeah, so look, we... Um, and that's where I started really studying it. And I got my A licence really young at 28. Um, and then I joined the Premier League and that gave me an opportunity to study and really bed down how I saw the game. And I, I travelled around Europe, watched a lot of top coaches in youth and first team. And then, and then it sort of went from there, really. West Ham, then Oldershot, obviously, was my first team of, uh, opportunity and learned a lot from, from Gary. How did you meet uh, Gary? Well, I, don't, I, I, I should know League. that one. Yeah. I met the Premier League. So he was a club support manager. And I used to send him and the other uh, coaches out to watch games and study the youth, like 23s, Premier League 2, 
and compare against European teams that come over for tournaments. And I used to sort of organise those tournaments. So they used to watch the games. I used to put the stats with their thought process on what they saw, their reports and amalgamate into a report. So that's, I learned a lot from different people and um, obviously had my own idea on the game. So I'm always adding bits from other people, always got an open mindset, um, whether that's people in football or uh, away from football. My mentor's a hockey coach, a Dutch hockey coach. I met him on the Cruyff Institute. I'm still in touch with him. So I get try and get as much as I can from people and I'm always learning as well as being firm in my own beliefs. And um, But I'm never scared to evolve those. And like here now, you just said about my stats for a year. I, I'm not comfortable with that. I want to win something, but I also want to evolve my own philosophy all the time. And I think we've got a squad here once they come back off the injury table that hopefully can win games in different ways. And that's testament to the division now. It's a really challenging division and get asked different questions at different places. Great stuff. And, and that's a real insight that uh, certainly I didn't know a lot of that. Um, during your first year as well at Chesterfield, if that's not been a hectic enough year, you made brief reference to it earlier on. Um, your partner's given birth to uh, to your first child, uh, a little Arthur. You said he's six months old now. I mean, trying to be a football manager, not trying, but being a football manager um, is demanding enough. But I know as a father or two, there must be a lot of calls on your time uh, as dad as well. Yeah. Uh, quite a few people close to me said it would soften me a little bit. I'm sure a few players probably disagree with that, but I, I do feel that, you know, your, your, your empathy increases. Um, you can be a little bit more understanding with the players we've got that are fathers in our change room, etc. Um, it's always family first for me and, and health first. And um, I learned a lot from Gary on that. Uh, Gary Wallach's unbelievable man management uh, skills, um, how he, he managed the players individually and collectively and stuff. So you take that little bit from Gary and you, you try and find your own way. And look, I've got a player that's older than me in the squad, Nathan Tyson. So, you know, that's the challenge. And you've got the Jack Clarks coming out of Aston Villa Elite Academy. So all these different challenges I'm, I'm loving and I'm learning along the way and nothing's perfect, but essentially you want to learn all the time from your mistakes and from the good things you do. And hopefully, because every leader needs followers. So hopefully I've uh, got some followers in that change room now that will follow me, follow my way. Uh, and also a support base that will as well. Right. Tricky one, this. I don't know what you're going to say or what you're allowed to say, but I'm going to ask anyway. Kabongo Shimanga, that, I think, having spoken to a lot of people in and around the National League this year, that was quite a coup, pulling that one off, James. Uh, relatively close to the start of the season as well. Um, so Kabongo Shimanga, James, that was quite a coup right near the start of the season as well. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing he's somebody that you'd... Uh, had your eye on for a little while and someone who you felt that um, could really help you achieve what you want to achieve at Chesterfield and uh, and, and improve his own game as well. Yeah, for sure. it was on our, our radar, but um, like many transfer targets, you want the right characters. And sometimes when you get into discussions with certain players, you think, oh, no, that's probably not the right player for our environment and vice versa. The players sometimes can reject the environment as well and think it's not right for them. But when I spoke to Kabongo, it was firm in his mind that he didn't want to come to another National League side. So when we spoke, we talked about potentially what he could do, uh, how we could maybe turn him into a one, uh, one in 1.5 one, rather than a one, one in two. And he's he's really um, bought into that. And I think he's had the most touches in the opposition, 18-yard box, just got a stat there. Um, more than anybody else in the league so he's getting the ball in the position to score and that's credit to his teammates but also credit to his own talent and his movement so long may that continue um, I knew you wouldn't be able to go without asking me about him like everybody else is at the moment but he's very happy here and hopefully um, well, I'm sure his future's here I've banged the, Kamo- the Kabongo Shimanga drum for a long time the boys on the podcast will will not believe that I'm mentioning it again but um, he was at Aldershot under previous management. He was there on loan from MK Dons. He was smashing goals in for MK Dons. And we were quite excited to see what he could do. Um, But he barely got a chance at the time. And I asked the management team at the time, why haven't we seen? He said, oh, you know, he he hasn't looked all that in training. And yet he'd got a fantastic goal-scoring record. I mean, yes, you want your players to train well, don't you, James? But really, it's what they do out there in the 90 minutes that counts the most, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about the past, but of course, it's um, as a manager now, you don't get everything right, do you? So that you might slip through the net a little bit there. But it's credit to Luke Goward as well, because 
he took the opportunity. He, he put his neck on the on, on the block getting him from Oxford City. He's, he recognised his talent and he's he's turned him into a one and two man over the last two seasons. So it's credit to Luke, and hopefully now you know I can add some one percent if I can, and um, which I, I believe I'm doing. And he's in getting it even better, Kabongo Shimango, and he's a one and one man at the moment. And if he can see out the next five months. Uh, as a one in one man for the full season and hit our target and winning the championship because it's not shy away from the expectation. You know, there's no, there's no uh, ball here. Everyone expects us to try and win the league. We can, but Grimsby do as well, Stockport, etc. So there's some big teams, Wrexham's. So look, hopefully we can be in the pack come the turn of the year and um, and really have a good five months uh, together. One question I've always wanted to ask you is, uh, and I, I wonder if your thoughts on it might have changed in recent weeks. Your injury issues are well documented. I think you had 13, maybe 14 players out uh, your last couple of games. What are your thoughts, James, on the optimal squad size uh, that you want to manage? Because it is a tricky balance, isn't it? You need to keep people involved and, and, and have them believe in, in what's going on. Um, so what are your thoughts on the optimal squad size? Did you get the squad size that you wanted this season? And um, and has that thought changed with just the sheer tirade of injuries you've had? Yeah, we, we, look, we went ahead with uh, 23, with three goalies. And obviously we've extended that now to 26 because of Luke Kroll, uh, Tyrone Williams and the, the late signing of Kabongo. Um so perhaps I went one more than what I wanted to initially in terms of going with 24 with Kabongo. But it was when I knew he was available, we could do something. I wasn't going to turn that one down. It uh, wise. Um, also, we had Joe Rowley out on loan, etc. And a few more would have gone out on loan. So I think I think that um, at this level, you can operate with, because of the sheer velocity of Saturday, Tuesdays and Cups, etc. I think 21 is a good number, 22, with, with a couple of goalies. Um, but we've had to dipping a little bit quicker than what we wanted to. Um, but that will change when, when players come back from injury. But we've been a bit unlucky with some long-term injuries. Tom Denton, obviously Hayden Hollis um, for the season, etc. It's been difficult to manage that. Um, what's been most disappointing is we've had two muscle injuries, Maguire and Clark, out of the whole uh, other injuries. The others have been all contact, um, whether it's been a kick in the face to Gavin to break his eye socket and nose, Obviously, that needed operating on Jeff King and a tackle in Sully Hole, an honest tackle. Um, he just came off worse. Um, similar with George Carline, has gone in for a tackle at Wrexham and ended up shattering his kneecap. So, it's been some major unlu- uh, unlucky tackles because we want the players to be fully committed. Um, but we don't want to go on about our injuries. We haven't. And that's, I think that's what stood us in good stead. We remain positive. If we've only been able to name three subs or two subs, that's what we've done. And we've gone full throttle and we've managed to pick up results still. Yes, we know we can't remain like this and we can't sustain this, but we will have players back at the end of December and hopefully into the new year we'll, we'll manage to get our full squad back or what's close to our full squad and be even stronger for it. Brilliant stuff. Final question, if you've got time, James. Uh, question from Tom Lang, one of our uh, podcast uh, team. Uh, National League squads and lower seem stronger than ever this season. And the success of National League teams going into the EFL continues with Sutton and Hartlepool doing really well. The gap has definitely closed. I think we would all agree that. But with National League attendances up, no salary cap and National League clubs routinely poaching players from EFL sides, is there an argument that the top half of the National League now is, is actually of a higher standard than most of League Two? It's a good question. Uh, it's a long question, but it's a good question. Um, I think first and foremost there's some scaremongering and some false reports on salaries and what people are uh, transfer fees etc I think there's a lot of scaremongering in terms of and a lot of fake news on that but um, I will concede that the spend is bigger than ever now I would say in the National League but also the attendances are matching that uh, with the rise of transfer funds salaries etc so it's an exciting league to be a part of. Um, and I don't believe you should punish clubs for having that financial clout. I don't believe in that. Um, and, and I think I've been on the other side of the fence. So I think I'm in a good position to comment because at Oldershot, we didn't have a lot and we still got in the playoffs twice. Sutton, Sutton's were still part-time where they believe or three-quarter time or whatever yeah, they were. Quarters, whatever, yeah, yeah and, and they won it. Macclesfield, 
etc. So it still can be done. And I, st- I think it's an exciting, sort of battering it down, I think it's an exciting place to be the National League at the moment. I do feel that the one promotion spot needs looking at and for the integrity of the actual pyramid because of the quality mm. in this level now. Mm. Um, it's not just um, players. I think the management side, I think there's some real good managers and coaches as well and teams are really organised and playing different ways and there's a credit to the coaches and the players at this level. It's an exciting place to be. I'm really pleased that I'm learning my trade here, to be honest. And um, yeah, for me, I think the gap's closed. I think the FA Cup results have shown that as well. As our teams are going against League One teams, aren't they, and getting results. So it's a really positive place to be. Um, in terms of the salary cap, etc., should that be brought in? Um, that's out of my remit. That's for not for, for me to really comment on. But the quality of the players, the quality of the coaching, um, the quality of the atmospheres and the stadia has improved for sure in the last five years in the National League. And long may it continue, but it can't continue with one promotion spot. I can comment on that. Uh, I think it needs to be at least one more, two automatic and one playoff for me. Um, But I was an advocate of more than five subs. I think it's a thing of the past. Um, We need to look at the sub situation as well because we want to entertain as well. We want to be able to bring different types of players on. Um, So I think I was an advocate for that. That didn't go through, but I'm an advocate for one promotion spot, one more promotion spot as well. Uh, Absolutely, James. And hopefully the uh, substitutes one come up comes up again because the disparity now between the Premier League and the National League is ridiculous. You've virtually got a whole team on the bench uh, in the Premier League. And I don't think it's it's just logic. It's common sense. You know, you want to be able to not sit and procrastinate. Am I going to put a keeper on the bench or not? You want to put one on and you want cover for all positions, don't you? It's a simple, simple enough equation. James, you've been more than generous with your time. Um, as, as, as you and I know, we've been trying to arrange this for quite a long time and uh, you're such a detailed man that uh, obviously your job comes first, but you've been really obliging with your time. And I think everybody from the NL full pod, full-time podcast team and the National League fans will be right behind you. The very best of luck on Sunday in the uh, FA Cup against Salford. Thanks, Rob. Great to speak to you. And by the way, cracking podcast. I do listen, to, I get round to listen to as many as I can, if not all of them. And it's great to see you doing so well on the podcast, lads. So keep it going. And of course, that was done ahead of the game against Salford. It was a late kickoff on Sunday evening. And Chesterfield ended up being victorious over their League Two rival Salford. And Chris, just before we came on the podcast, you were saying you didn't find that much of a shock, really, did you? No, same as the same as the over one. No, it did. In fact, I, I was saying to you, Luke, that I think it would have been more of a shock if they didn't get something out of it today. Um, and then I checked the odds, and the odds were Salford were evens to win, and, and um, Chesterfield were thirteen to five before the match as well. So listen to the NL Full Time podcast, and you'll make a bit of money because that's <laughs> that's, that's no surprise here. I think um, I think what we saw we saw an amazing goal, didn't we? What a strike that was by uh, Liam Mandeville. And um, the only surprise in the whole match for me was that Kabongo Shimanga didn't finish that. Um, that's uh, that chance just before uh, Chesterfield got the second at the end, but uh, can, well, well deserved win for, for me. They matched um, throughout. Uh, yes, Salford did have their opportunities, but they didn't make the best of them, and um, and Chesterfield deservedly going to the hat for the next round. Yeah, credit to Shamangri showed the composure in the end, just to kind of knock it away from the goalkeeper to Jim Kellerman, who's he's coming out the cold, really. He was out alone at Tamworth at the start of the season and he drilled it in off the bar. So that's a great renaissance for him and uh, a fantastic win for Chesterfield and they'll be looking forward to going into the hat for the third round. They absolutely will. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't a surprise. I, I saw when they made the selections for which games are going to be on TV that there was, you know, speculation that the reason this game was on television was because of the Salford City side of it and and and, and obviously their links with Gary Neville and, and, and those kinds of... And I must say, I thought Liam Mandeville's goal celebration with a little bit of a dig at Paul Scholes there and a recent story about him. If, if you... Um, um, no? No shaking of heads? Okay, well... <laughs> Don't Google it at work was all I would say, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was a, a, a little a little dig at him, which I thought was good presence of mind of him, not just to get the goal, but then to remember the the goal celebration that went with it. But yeah, I looked at that tie and just thought to myself, this has been chosen because Chesterfield actually stand a really good chance of regressing here, and that's exactly what they've done. 
Yeah, and a shot that did, did happen on Sunday and, and a team that did progress with Kidamis de Harriers and they were out the blocks quickly as they disposed of an opponent, a division to hire in Halifax. who are doing really, really well in the National League this year. We've given Halifax so many plaudits, but Kidamis to just bloom away in that first half. Yeah, they did. And, you know, I think... Um... I mean, Kidderminster, yeah, they got through in the previous round against um, a Grimsby Town team who are in a bit of a lull. You, you can't say that about Halifax and, and the form and the way that they've been going. So to, to dis- dispose of Halifax in, in the way that they've done, um, you know, is a really notable scout for, for Russell Penn and his team. I think they were in the lead after two minutes um, through Amari Morgan-Smith and then um, Ashley Hemmings. Uh, we, again, you know, we, we've mentioned him, him every week because of the form that he's in at the moment. He bagged the second goal. I think they were 2 0 up after about 20 minutes or so. And, and by the sounds of it, they, you know, they, they didn't sound like they were ever going to relinquish that lead. Yeah, Chris, we've gone on about Pete Wilde. He'll be bitterly disappointed. I mean, ultimately, they are in the playoffs and that is the ultimate aim. But they won't want to have gone out of the competition to a side, a division below them, will they? No, no one wants to go out of the competition, especially at this at this stage, second round stage, where you know Halifax could have drawn you know, Huddersfield in the next round, someone like that. You know, local rivals where they would have obviously packed the ground or they'd have they'd have travelled. Um, and so, no, no one wants to go out at this stage. And you know, some people might look at that and think, oh well, they're concentrating on the league, which league is always the always the priority isn't it but no they would have they would have absolutely wanted to wanted to go through to the to the next round yesterday when you get to this stage of the competition and you draw another non-league side you know you've got to be bitterly disappointed that you know you don't take that step and, and reach the third round and I'm sure Halifax will be tonight but yeah big congratulations to Kidderminster Harriers and um, yeah they've got a, a a great history in the FA Cup you know I think they went as far as the fifth round probably in the late 19 early early 1990s um uh, famously knocking out Birmingham City on one occasion. So, yeah, the, the Kidderminster will be uh, alive with, um, you know, people wanting to know who they get in the next round. Going back to Friday night, there was two National League sides, one in the National League North and one in the National League, who went out to League One opposition. Uh, first off, Dickie Gates said, who I saw against Aldrigham and were really impressive. And we thought they might have had a chance against Charlton, but in the end just ultimately fell short, didn't they? They did. Uh, I think they acquitted themselves really, really well. I think people watching that one who who haven't seen Gateshead, and there will be many people who haven't seen Gateshead, would be impressed with the way that that Mike Williamson has put his side together. It came down to finishing in the end. They had opportunities and didn't take them. And when the opportunities fell away of Charlton Athletic, Jaden Stockley put both of them away. Um, and, And that was... That was all that separated the sides, ultimately. I don't think there was an awful lot more between it. But, you know, it's that quality, isn't it? That that when you get your opportunities, you have to take them. And that's why Charlton Athletic are a League One side. And that's why Gateshead are a National League North side. But I think they've done themselves a power of good. Um, You know, they'll have made some money from this cup run. They've got a lot to look forward to in the National League North this season. They're in the playoff places and I'm sure they'll want to kick on from here. Just the thing to ponder on on that one, uh, guys, is that they had over 3,700 people there last night. Obviously, Charlton brought brought some up as well but you know what it reminded me of it reminded so a lot of those fans will be Newcastle fans a lot of those fans might be you know Sunderland fans you know fans from around the area who just wanted to watch a little bit of football on Friday night I don't know whether you remember back I'm going back 20 25 years ago now but Tranmere Rovers used to Mm. play their home games on a Friday night Stockport County used to play a lot of home games on a Friday night and the attendances swelled from all those fans from other clubs in the area who just wanted a bit of Friday night football. Now, I saw the inter- an interview with uh, Mike Williamson at the end of the game, and I know that Gateshead have put an official sort of, um, sort of statement out saying, you know, we hope you enjoyed your visit. Please come again. We've got a big game uh, going on in midweek as well. Friday night football for Gateshead, eh? Why, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I mean, I remember it was 10 years ago now, um, more than that. And it, and it was due to the unavailability of the stadium that um, Gateshead ended up playing their um, uh, National League North playoff final against AFC Telford on a Friday night. And the place was absolutely packed. And I did have a little bit of a sense that maybe people had um, rolled out of the pub at 20 past seven to be in for the kickoff. But they were there. Um, and, you know... <sighs> Football isn't 
the cheapest um, uh, night out these days. But yeah, Gates said, you know, it's the, maybe there is some possibility with them there. Um, I know, I suppose it would give difficulties to maybe some of the teams travelling to them to play on a Friday evening, um, given the distance involved. But, you know, it might be something they might want to consider. And um, yeah, it, it was really good to see that stadium with a lot of people in it as well, because I know sometimes, I think my my fear about this game was it being played in the athletic stadium with the track around the outside and everything that it might not come across that well on television but I didn't get that sense you know that, that you know you could that you could hear the crowd and they were they were well involved in it and um, yeah it was a good evening Dickie why would they not want to travel up Newcastle's a great night out I mean <laughs> who'd, who'd not want to go to the football or go there as a visiting team and then go out for a night in Newcastle after eh answers on a postcard yeah there might be there might be an increase in the number of, of teams wanting to have an overnight stay but have an overnight stay after the game rather than before it so they could uh, hit the big market afterwards and uh, make a weekend of it yeah the other National League team we played on Friday night was Stockport County away at Rotherham. I think they took over 2,500 fans up to South Yorkshire in the end. But ultimately, again, the League One side just prevailed, Chris. Yeah, they did. The general consensus from this one, though, was that, um, you know, that it was it was a fairly even game. Um, and um, I think, I think to be honest, you know, they, they only got beat 1-0. Rotherham took the chance. County didn't take the chances that, that they had. And I think... I think now they've got Stockport County have got to think, right, we need to be playing at this level um, going forward because Rotherham, unbeaten in 17 games and you know, County ran them close. I thought Paul Warren's uh, Rotherham boss um, comments at the end were, were really interesting. He said as much, you know, we took our chance, they didn't, but they, they were one of the, the better teams that have played there this season. And he said... You mentioned the amount of away fans. He said the away support is the best he's ever seen at Rotherham. And I tell you what, they could have sold another 2,600 tickets as well for that uh, on Friday night as well. So only good things for County. Now they can focus on the league. And I'll tell you one thing. I think whilst you know it's fantastic that Chesterfield have gone through to the next round, Yeovil and things like that, there will be a few clubs um, who are no longer in, in the FA Cup thinking, well, that's fine by us. You you spend a bit more energy on, on those things and uh, maybe we can uh, sneak a few points while you're uh, while you're tired or you're concentrating on something else. Yeah, the promotion rivals in the National League maybe maybe slightly disappointed that Stockport County have gone out because uh, they'll have wanted them to build up the games, of course. Um, one of those teams will be Bournemouth who are aiming to get into the third round, actually. They take on St Albans in the live game on Monday evening. Just a quick word on that one. That'll be an interesting game, won't it? It's a, we'll at least see a National League club, whether it's from the South or in the National League, in the third round, won't we? We will. You know, they'll, they'll, uh, there are three teams through so far. I think I'm right in my counting. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that will make it a fourth. Um, you'd have to say that the moment, and particularly given the form that, that St Albans have, have, uh, have been in since that win. It's hard to look at their league form and believe that the, that the FA Cup hasn't distracted them a little bit. You'd have to favour Boreham Wood for that game tomorrow night, but it's the Cup and um, anything can happen. And, and whichever team gets through, I'm sure they'll they'll represent the National League proudly and do themselves proud. Yes, yeah, so as we mentioned, the top two in the National League were in the FA Cup, which left a chance for third place Bromley to Close the gap and in close the gap they did. They had a really entertaining game against Wheelstone. In the end, it was a last minute winner from Byron Webster for Bromley in the end. And Andy Woodman's side keep on going after a couple of iffy results recently. They are still there, they're not going away, are they? No, not at all. And it was a bit of a thrilling game down there, wasn't it? Um, you know, uh, they came back from uh, 2 1 behind to go from 2 all. I saw Andy Woodman's interview at the end. He says, God, we make it hard for ourselves. He said, we should have been out of sight. Um, but they weren't out of sight and they gave themselves work to do. Um, Byron Webster, captain, man of the match, scored the winner yesterday. So he had, um, he had a, a pretty good day as well. And I think. Um, I think it was a fitting tribute. There was a lot of there's a lot of words said at the end of that match about a tribute to uh, to Dave Roberts as well, um, which was uh, which was the, the right result in the end, wasn't it? But in terms of um, in terms of the league table, yeah, Bromley in, in third now, so um, putting pressure on those top two. Yeah, Wheelstone stay in seventeenth. 
Wrexham, they quietly move up to fourth. As I said, he lost in midweek to Yeovil. A bit of a setback there. There's a bit of controversy around that with a with a red card and a couple of decisions. But they went down to Dover, and I'm I'm guessing people might have thought that Wrexham were going to go down there and absolutely smash them. As it was, it was a late winner from Jordan Davis, and I suppose it doesn't matter how ma- how many they score or how they come. It's about getting the three points, isn't it? It is. I mean, given the way that the Wrexham have been scoring away from home, they had that five nil. When at Aldershot, they went to Kings Lynn and won 6-2. You know, you might have been lumping on there uh, however many, you know, four or more goals in in, in yesterday's game if, if you had an interest in it. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's about getting the job done. And, and Wrexham did get the job done. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a long old haul, old haul down there. Um, we know Dover are going through a difficult time. Um and it came late, didn't it? You know, 84 minutes for that for that goal from Jordan Davis, which you mentioned there. Um, I think the words hard fought are written all over this one. Uh, Halifax slipped down to fifth. Of course, they weren't playing because they're in the FA Cup. Grinsby missed out on a chance as well to leapfrog those teams. They lost 3-2 down at Dagenham and Redbridge. A disappointing result for Paul Hurst's side. There was murmurings that I saw of um, people, of Grinsby fans calling for Paul Hurst's head. There was Grimsby fans bickering amongst themselves in the away end. They had John McAtee sent off. He'll be a big miss for them as well. Uh, Dean Rance, Akambi and Angelo Balanta getting the goals for Dagenham and Redbridge. And Grinsby is still in a good position. Uh, should there be much panic there for the Mariners? Um, I think there's got to be certainly concern. That's one win out of five now, considering um, where they were early doors, you know, after the first nine or ten games when they were absolutely flying and we were we were thinking, right, are these going to be, are they going to go straight back up? Are they going to be um, challenging for, for that top spot? Now, of course, they could still do that, um, but that's not great. And let's not forget that Dagenham Redbridge had lost the last three as well, so that's a fantastic win for them. So give them give them credit. Paul Hurst was, was bemoaning the third goal that he felt was blatantly offside as well, so... That's uh, that's another one to to throw into it. And um, on the John McAtee sending off, he he bemoaned the um, the reaction of the uh, the Dagenham Redbridge players, which he felt contributed to um, to McAtee getting sent off there as well. So it's one of those things that you tend to sometimes just hear when teams aren't doing that well. Mm. I, think. I was going to say, Chris, uh, is that a manager under pressure speaking then? Well, I think he's bound to be under pressure. We've seen this before when teams when teams drop down, and no matter how many times you know we say it, fans do expect them to to be there or thereabouts, and they are there and thereabouts, or be winning matches that that um, that we know are difficult. And a trip to Dagenham Redbridge on on a day like um, like it was yesterday, when the weather conditions were terrible and and all that sort of thing, um, is it is a toughie. So it's you know it's um, one of those games where you've really got to dig in. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't manage to speak to Paul Hurst when I, I saw Solihull um, beat Grimsby, um, well, roughly two weeks ago now. But I did overhear um, uh, listening on on one of his post match press um, interviews, and he and he spoke about leadership in the team, and he spoke about the number of young players in the team. Uh, and basically alluded to the fact that, you know, early in the season when the goals were going in and when they were flying, that, um, you know, everybody it feels like an easy game. That the football feels like such a simple game when things are going for you. But you learn more about yourself when things aren't going for you. And he's learning something about his team at the moment. And I think he's learning that there's um, a, a lack of leadership there's a lack of you know vocal contributions on the pitch uh, and, and that was how it kind of looked to me you know and I, he's finding out something about his team but it, it's I think it's important that everybody sticks together I mean you know that idea that Grimsby fans want Paul Hurst removed I just think goodness me you know <laughs> you've seen that the potential is there from how they performed earlier in the season you just need to stick by them a bit longer and and, and give him an opportunity yeah just outside the playoff places on goal difference are Solihull Moors they beat Woking by two goals to nil. Woking, who had a man sent off as well, and still without the only team to have not drawn this season as well, which is pretty uh, pretty impressive, I must say. It is. I mean, how many times have we said that you know that it's it's either win or lose, and nothing in between for Woking. Um, exactly the same again yesterday. Um, 
you know, they were doing a, a, a goal from Joe Sabar in the 28th minute, um, Adam Rudy adding a penalty in the second half. And uh, yeah, uh, Jamal Loza sent off late on, which won't have um, pleased uh, Dows. I'm absolutely sure of that one, you know, when there's only three minutes left and you two nil down. It, it, I suspect there's probably a bit of frustration involved in it, but, you know, you, you just accept not accept your defeat, but you know that that that's silly, and that could cost Woking in, in, in the, over a longer period. Yeah, Aldershot and Aldershot met down at the Ebb Stadium yesterday, and Rob caught up with friend of the podcast, Aldershot press officer Brian Flynn before the game, and then Rob gave his thoughts on the game, and you'll hear that as well. I'm joined at the EBB Stadium prior to Aldershot Town against Alti by uh, Alti's uh, media man and Radio Robins commentator Brian Flynn. Brian, nice to see you again. You, you got a far more sexy uh, bobble at, uh, on than me, but it'll keep your ears warm, nevertheless. How, how was, uh, how was your journey down? Uh, it was good. Yeah, um, came on the train from uh, Crewe to Euston and across to Waterloo, and then I was actually in Aldershot before twelve o'clock. So I had a pretty good uh, journey down. Uh, been down the, on the train the last two years. So. And I always like coming here, so mm. it's a great traditional ground, isn't it? And always a decent atmosphere, well, apart from last year. Yeah, of course, absolutely. We'll, 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 we'll come on to that. Let's. I always like when I'm talking to somebody who watches a team week in, wing out, just to sort of give you an outsider's point of view. Outsider's point of view, I'd say, Alti, come back to this level of football, establish yourselves very well. No issues, really, uh, threats or worries about relegation. But you just... In pockets of time, in periods of time, you're threatening to go to that next level. Um, it's, it's difficult to sustain, of course, isn't it, at this ever more competitive league. But how do you feel the boys are doing? I know they've picked up a lot of plaudits, but sometimes you want less plaudits and more points, don't you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good point that you make. I mean, if you look at last, last season, we had a little bit of an iffy start. Reasonable but a little bit iffy. Then we had a great run, got into fourth at one stage. And just when it looked as if we might be able to kick on, we had a bit of an issue. We had to play two games at FC United because of problems with our pitch. And then we hit a bad run. We hit five straight defeats. And that really sort of took the, the, not the stuffing out of us. And we recovered a little bit, but never quite got back into our stride. But 17th, I think we would all have taken that at the start of the season. This season, much better start. Um, I'm going really, really well. And then we, we've, we hit the buffers again a little bit because uh, I mean it all really started three games in a week where we took the lead and we lost each game Eastley um, we took the lead and lost 2-1 fair enough that was a probably the right result on the day and then the, the live game against Solihull we're absolutely decimated we've got a squad of 28 we had 12 people available for that game had to sign two players Barry Bagley and Tom Walker on loan on the day of the game Barry Bagley scored we took the lead but Solihull beat us 2-1 uh, we were probably a little bit unfortunate on, on, on the night um, and then on the Saturday we lost a good game at Woking where again I don't think we could complain too much it was all 3-2 to Woking um, and since then we've been a little bit up and down but I think we've only won one in the last eight but certainly the, um, the the issues off the pitch I think have certainly had some sort of effect because the ground capacity has been uh, reduced and we've had a couple of poor performances last week against Southend was, was poor yeah older shots I noticed have only drawn one game this season Altering have only drawn three so I'm guessing it could be quite an open game although the shots have got an interesting home record haven't they yeah it's one of the more difficult to predict I, I, I think uh, from an Aldershot point of view obviously over the moon to go and get that third consecutive win at Kings Lynn in a game which didn't have a lot in it difficult conditions difficult pitch and uh, you thought well nil nil on the back of two wins would be fine and they found a way to win it late on which is not it's generally been the other way with Aldershot they've been in games competitive but maybe lost it to a late goal um, <clears throat> so obviously by the time this podcast comes out it'll all be over and you listeners will already know what the result was but uh, um, keeping it sort of less about the match and more about Ulti as a, as, as a general thing um, Phil Parkin, the manager, uh, Parkinson the manager has uh, picked up uh, quite a lot of plaudits he's, he's very highly rated is there any fear at Altrincham at some point that somebody may come in for him? I think there's a lot of fear yeah uh, when um, uh, when Simon Russ lost his job at, at Stockport you know, most Altrincham fans were really fearing that 
that Stockport were going to come in for Phil Parkinson. And he's got to have been on the shortlist, I'm sure. And we were really pleased when Dave Challoner got the job. So yeah, there is that. That's I think something we we just have to learn to live with. When you've got a good manager, he is going to attract attention. His stock is pretty high, I think. So yeah, it's it's a very clear and um, and, and relevant for you for Altrincham fans. Brilliant stuff. We'll keep it at that and uh, enjoy this afternoon. And uh, we we'll look forward to catching up with you again. Uh, when the shots travel to Oldie later in the season, yeah, um, two won both games last season, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how how today goes. But as I say, always enjoy always enjoy the trips uh, down to Hampshire. So two all in the end between Aldershot and uh, Altrincham, and a uh, bit of a strange game in a way because Aldershot led two nil when Altrincham had been the better side, um, and then uh, Altie's goals late in the first half and late in the second half. Uh, which Aldershot had, had looked much better in. But an element of fortune about the late equalising goal, Colclough just sending a ball into the right spot and it missing everybody and going in. But no element of fortune about Altrincham's draw. They were well worthy of it, having started the game extremely well and having really bombarded Aldershot at the end, in truth. But for a brilliant save from Laurie Walker um, and uh, a, a miss uh, from an ulti player, um, after Walker had uh, tried to release the ball quickly from his hands and, and it had cannoned into the back of a, an ulti player and dropped fortuitously, uh, they weren't able to take advantage. Certainly myself and Brian included felt that uh, a draw was a fair result in the end. Encouraging stuff for Mark Molesley's men. 10 points out of 12 now uh, with an average age of 23.3 in their starting lineup yesterday. Uh, and a number of players still out. So they keep a bit of momentum and stretch it to four unbeaten. Uh, meanwhile, Alti continue to pick up a lot of plaudits, but not enough points to get them up near those playoffs. So an entertaining game down there at the Ebb Stadium. And there was also an entertaining game at Weymouth, where Torquay won by two goals to one. In I suppose it's quite a localish game for Torquay in the end. That one, it, it's it's like a few hundred. It's only uh, probably about a hundred miles or so uh, compared to some of the away trips. But uh, they had to they had to really fight for it. Joe Lewis got the opening goal. They were pegged back by Brandon Goodship before Sinclair Armstrong got the winner 20 minutes from time to get Jerry, Gary Johnson's men a vital three points and also a big shout out as well for Barnet. They beat Maidenhead by three goals to nil. They're absolutely fine. I know Maidenhead have had COVID and maybe that's uh, caught up with them a little bit. But Dean Brennan, everyone will just be saying, give him the job, won't they? Or oh, he's head of football. So maybe people are just saying, just give yourself the job. Yeah, <laughs> just... Just yeah, definitely. I mean, third in the form table at the moment behind Stockport County in Yeovil. Um, he said we should have we should have finished it much earlier in the game. Now, I don't know how much earlier he wanted to finish it because they would be seen well ahead early on in the game anyway. And um, I think he's just showing what a fantastic manager he is, and you know whatever everyone has always thought he, he is for for quite a while now as well. And um, yeah, it's good to see Barnet Barnet doing well because they have been in the doldrums the last few seasons. Yeah, I think I think this might be the point in the season where we issue our annual Are We Concerned About Maidenhead, given that they've dropped into bottom three. But, you know, we know Alan Devonshire and we know he knows this league like the back of his hand. And, um, you know, yeah, it being in the bottom three isn't great, but it, it, I, I'm sure he's not overly concerned about that at the moment. As soon Especially as we do, they, as soon as we do that, they pick up, don't they, usually? <laughs> well, there we go. We've done the trick for him. Yeah. Especially Dickies, they have got a couple of games in hand on some others around them as well. They've only played 16, whereas Weymouth have played 18 and things like that. So I think you're right. Let's move on now and look at the National League North. And in the National League North, it's fair to say it was a really really interesting and entertaining day for sometimes the right reasons, sometimes the wrong reasons, wasn't it, Dickie? Let's start off at the top and uh, filed who brushed aside managerless Blair. Well, I was going to say managerless Blair. They've got a new manager in charge who who you put a picture up of, Terry Mitchell, and he looked delighted to have the job, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't look he didn't look thrilled by the prospect. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think when Terry Mitchell was announced as Blythe Bottoms manager, I think the reaction probably outside of, um, of, of the North East was probably Terry Hu. Um, but actually, if you look at his, his track record, um, he's been manager at Consit Town most recently, got them to the FA Vars final. He's left them um, and they're seven points clear at the top 
um, him, him moving aside, so he's not left them in bad shape. He's involved with Newcastle United's academy. He's been an assistant manager um, at a couple of other clubs. So uh, I wonder if there's a little bit of a, uh, a hint of the direction that Blythe are looking to go for there. That you know, obviously Newcastle's academy, um, Blythe uh, was the club that revived the career of Callum Roberts. Um, uh, and saw him move on to Notts County fairly soon after that one. So whether Blyther may be looking to go in a slightly different direction and, and you know use his knowledge of younger players in there to sort of like um, get the players in, they need some results. So and, and obviously going to AFC Fylde in your first game isn't the easiest uh, one to be facing. And they went down to a four-one defeat. Two goals in that one from Nick Horton. Um, and yeah, Blythe had Reese Evans sent off in the second half, which won't have been a great way to get off the mark with your new manager. Yeah, Brackley keeping up the pressure as well, just behind by uh, just behind Fylde, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They they when they when I say they match that they they match the result by winning, you know, by a three goal margin. They won three 0 away at Bradford Park Avenue, which was, you know, dare say probably not an expected result given Brackley's fantastic away form. Um, they've a seventh clean sheet from nine away matches for them. Twenty one points from twenty seven they've collected on the road. Two up by half time through Trey Mitford and Jimmy Armson. Leon Love added a third after the break, and yeah, game over. Um, Avenue dropped down to nineteenth after that one. And They've, they've had a little bit of pickup in form lately. Um, but yeah, that one was just a, a game too far for them yesterday. Yeah, Charlie, who are in third, they didn't play. Um, but just behind them were Boston, who we were questioning Craig Elliott's future a couple of weeks ago. They're up to fourth now. They won 3-2 away at Kettering in front of an interested spectator, Dickie. <laughs> Yes, there was. Yeah, there was. A, there was a, a notable spectator there, um, it, uh, which we'll come to in a moment. Yeah, it was a, a good result for for Boston. As I say, it, it's um, speculating over Craig Elliott's future isn't something that we enjoy doing. But Boston's inconsistency and, and knowing that they 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 want promotion, um, I, I, I guess, uh, uh, the context in which we look at this one. They did it the hard way yesterday. They were 2-0 down and they were 2-0 down within seven minutes. Connor Kennedy headed the opener for Kettering in the second minute. Jordan Crawford added the second one five minutes later. Um, and yeah, uh, Craig Elliott would have been thinking, oh no, here we go again. But I know Paul Cox, a Kettering manager, he's questioned the mental strength of his team after some of their recent games. And I suspect he might be doing so again because... My half-time, it was 2-2, Paul Green and Joe Leasley adding those goals. Um, yeah, this is where we come to the interesting spectator. Professor Jonathan Van Tam was there watching his side. He's a Boston United fan. Um, so, yeah, he saw his side deliver a couple of jabs in the first half, and then they got a booster in the second half with Jordan Burrow heading in what proved to be the winner in the 68th minute. I bet, I bet he won't be feeling as rough, though, after the booster, would he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's quite he's quite apt, given that you know Chris's experience over, over the last twenty four hours. Yeah, Alfreton <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're on a really good run, aren't they? They had a good win away at Curzon Ashton. It's it's just not happening for new manager Adam Leighton now at the minute, but a good win for Billy Heathside. Yes, it was. Yeah, actually, Alfreton have, have hit a little hiccup of late. They'd had three consecutive defeats going into this one, but they've snapped that and bounced back into the playoff places with a 2-1 win at Curzon Ashton. Um, we spoke about Bailey Hobson last week, um, and uh, yeah, he scored after 15 seconds of the game yesterday to put uh, Alfreton a goal up. Um, they struck again pretty quickly at the beginning of the second half as well. They got Antoine Hackford on load from Sheffield United. He scored to put them 2-0 up. Um, and we had a choice of Hobsons in this game, um, in that we had Craig Hobson playing for Kurz Nashton. Um, he scored to get a goal back after 76 minutes. But yeah, it's another defeat for uh, for Kurz Nashton. I think they've only picked up a couple of points in Adam Lakeland's first four games. So, you know, not, not a fantastic start. And they've just slipped out of the playoff places after, you know, uh, the, the good start to the season they've had. But I think they've got a couple of games in hand as well. Yeah, Telford were in action worthy, Dickie, but you did go up and see Geisel against York City. Interesting choice. Uh, yes, uh, Telford weren't in action. So um, I found myself in the northeast fulfilling a, a promise I made to uh, bring my parents to visit some relatives. So it was a, a look around to see where was the closest game. And, and Geisley against York City was it. Yeah, and I um, saw York City win 1-0 with a goal from Kurt Willoughby in the 88th minute. I have to say... 
I, I'm not sure it was completely deserved based on what I saw in the game. I, I thought probably a point apiece would have been um, a fair result. Uh, Geisley had struck the bar um, through Princek Polo in, in the second half. So they can feel a, a, a little bit, um, not aggrieved exactly, but but perhaps dispirited by that one. But it was a fantastic goal from Willoughby to win it, just cutting inside on his right foot. Aims for the top corner. Bradway got a hand to it, couldn't keep it out. And um, yeah, and it was a result that pleased their manager, John Askey, who I spoke to after the game. Uh, and uh, Rainy Nethermore, um, and I'm with the York City manager, John Askey, after a 1 0 win today, John. Um, not the, uh, a fantastic performance, but you got the job done. Yeah, and that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Um, but for the majority of the game, we looked quite solid, created uh, quite a few chances, had one disallowed. For offside that probably wasn't uh, missed uh, one or two chances there keeper pulled off a fantastic save first off uh, but I think the goal that we scored was fitting to win any game yeah I was going to touch on that goal from Kurt Willoughby I mean it's uh, when you've got somebody who can produce that you know you've always got a chance haven't you yeah yeah um, he always threatens to do that but uh, today he couldn't have hit any better uh, he was going away from goal really and to put a strike in like that was uh, was fantastic. I don't I don't think any keeper would have saved it. I mean you're probably what two, three weeks into into your role now at York City, John. I mean, um how are you finding it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Um so obviously that's why uh, why I've ended up with a job. So uh, but uh, but no, it's a good club and uh, I've been made to feel really welcome and um, as I say, if, if we keep winning, then I'll enjoy it even more. Absolutely, it's just about getting everybody pulling in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, and winning games gives it uh, does that. It uh, gives everybody belief, gives them belief in what I'm doing, trying to do, and uh, uh, long may it continue. Now, important points in you know keeping in touch with not letting a gap get too big. I mean, you you still got hopes that you still want to get into the playoffs. You believe that's possible. Yeah, it's, as I say, we're only a few points away, I think. So uh, it's a must really for a club like York, uh, being full time. So uh, you know, we we still we still need to improve, um, but uh, as I say there's no reason why we can't. And you've got some big games to look forward to over the Christmas period as well. It's quite intense over that time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we've got a tough game Tuesday against Gateshead. Who I think what I've seen of them uh, look as look as good as anyone. Uh, and then shortly after, which will be a, another tough game. So, yeah, but all we can do is, as the old saying is, is take one game at a time, and, and that's what we'll be doing. Chester, another eventful day for them. They ended up beating Leamington in the end, who are another team in farm. Yes, they did. Yeah, and this was an important win for Chester. They're under temporary management at the moment with Danny Livesey and Simon Grant taking the reins after Anthony Johnson and Bernard Morley departed the club. Are they the new Bernard and Jono? Well, you know, a win yesterday would have helped their cause. Paddy Lacey gave them the lead in the 32nd minute. But in that, that was probably the key incident of the whole game because in in the incident in which Lacey scored, there was a collision between um, one of his own players and Leamington goalkeeper Jake Weaver. Jake Weaver ended up having to be stretched off. He didn't see the rest of the game. Um, he was replaced in goal by midfielder Callum Gittings, who has taken the gloves for them before. And before half-time, they were level a Steph Morley free kick. It looked as if they were going to hang on and get a point. But Chester do love a late goal. And James Horsfield scored in the 95th minute to spoil Gittings' chance of a clean sheet. Leamington dropped to 10th, Chester up to 15th. Yeah, Southport against Hereford. Hereford, who came for back of a good midweek win against Kettering. Yeah, they did. That that midweek win over Kettering for Hereford 3-0 gave them five wins out of five in November. And I think it was five clean sheets as well. Um, their only disappointment in the month was uh, going out of the FA Trophy on penalties to Kidderminster last week. But I'm, I'd be hugely surprised if Josh Gowling doesn't win the manager of the month for November. But as if to sort of um, start the curse early, um, yeah, they went down to their first defeat in six games yesterday, but losing 2-0 at Hereford. Uh, Southport, sorry. Um, Southport were on a great run. They were unbeaten in six matches. They progressed in the FA Trophy in midweek, defeating Darlington and penalties and goals from Jordan Archer and Connor Woods did the job for them yesterday. The eventful game of the day was yeah. down in Gloucester, wasn't it, Dickie? Both on and off the field for the right and the wrong reasons. And there's a lot of fallout from this game, isn't there? Yes, there is. I mean, the, 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 the fallout from this game is, is spread across both days of the weekend, actually. Um, 
an incident which doesn't cast the National League in a great light, although I have to say that, you know, without evidence for it, we, we are having to talk about this as being an, an alleged um, incident that took place. But yeah, uh, it was a 2-0 win for Gloucester City. That doesn't really tell anything of the story. Ollie Hulbert scored uh, to put Gloucester into the lead. Matt McClure added a second on 63 minutes. But then he was dismissed three minutes later um, for what was an alleged bite on Brad Abbott of, of Spennymoor. Um, that sparked a big brawl on the field. Um, McClure was dismissed. Abbott was dismissed. Carl Magne was dismissed for Spennymoor as well. And um, Spennymoor's manager, Tommy Miller, came onto the field. Um, he got dismissed too. So, yeah, there were four red cards from one incident. Um, but, yeah, the fallout you speak about is is Tommy Miller's um, continued employment as the manager of Spennymoor Town, which, yeah, it, that ended today. Two league points from the last eight matches. Um, and he has parted company with the club along with assistant Stuart Parnaby. And... Our friend of the show, Jason Ainsley, is back in charge on an interim basis, trying to get the Spennymoor ship back on course because they've slipped down to 12th in the league. Of the, actually, 13th. Yeah, so um, things haven't gone great for Spennymoor in the last couple of months. I think there's been some disquiet there. I think there was some comment last week. Um, they've been trying to take the services of striker Frank Mulhern on Twitter. He was assigning he was not worked out. They made him available. They clearly not had that much interest and, and they were using Twitter as a way of trying to offload him, which I don't think um, some people thought was particularly positive. It's a very unlike Spenny Moore move. We must just say that obviously it is an alleged bite, although it has been sent off for it. I'm sure the fallout from it will come in the following weeks. We're going to take a quick look now at the National League South. We're going to keep it brief with the North, but that much happened that we ended up going through nearly every game in the end. But in the South, it was uh, just as eventful at Chippenham. They have the standout result of the day. They beat Dorking by four goals to one. Another disappointing result for Mark Whiteside. It's a hat-trick, a first-half hat-trick from Harry Parsons. It was an eight-minute hat-trick from him. Matthew Briggs got a goal at four half-time before a Rick Aguilar got a goal back, uh, got a goal in the last minute. And... Uh, yeah, it's just not quite going for Dorking at the minute, but a fantastic result for Chipping and probably a result of the day, that Dickie. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken about um, Dorking this season and the expectation that's upon them. So, yeah, e- even though they've not been um, perhaps firing on all cylinders, they're still a team that everybody would, would want to be. And uh, yeah, great result for Chipping yesterday. Yeah, Chipping them have gone above Dorking with that result. Uh, Dartford, they stay top. It was top against bottom. They have they beat Billericay by a goal to nil. Friend of the podcast, Jake Robinson, got the only goal there. And a, a much relief for Steve King. Yeah, it's very much needed three points for them. It's probably not the most comfortable of margins, given the fact that Billericay are our bottom that, you know, perhaps you might have looked at that one and thought that um, it was a chance for, for Dartford not only to get the points, but boost their goal difference a bit. But I think just getting some wins back on the board is, is the important thing for Dartford at the moment. And that's what they managed. i tell you what, what a result down at Champion Hill. Dulwich Hamlet took on Ebbsfleet. Ebbsfleet were 2-1 up at half-time. Uh, goals from Alfie Egan and Jack Paxman had them ahead at the break, but Dulwich roared back in the second half. They had goals from Jordan Green, Daryl McQueen, Giovanni McGregor and Andrew Seeley Harris, which meant they won 5-2 in the end. And, uh, well, Dulwich, it's not just a flash in the pan, are they, against it? one of the favourites for the lead this season? It isn't. You know, I think Dulwich went up to second in the table um, a, a few weeks ago when they won another fantastic game which I think was 4-3 against St Albans and yeah they were at it again yesterday another seven goal um, game and and they came out on the right side of this one too um, Ebsley it seems only a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about them as you know are they dark horses for the, the title in this division they seem to be um, coming up on the rails but I think it's just evidence of, of how close it seems to be at the top of the National League South that you know um, uh, nobody seems to be marking themselves out as, as absolutely outstanding contenders. But uh, that's what makes it interesting, isn't it? Because you've got so many teams in there that seem capable of beating one another. 
Yeah, another team who are in second and are going along very nicely as well are Oxford City. They travelled to Hungerford, who are again having a very good season there in form. They had a setback, though, in the first half when Solomon Wanjau Smith got a straight red card and they managed to get a winner. Two minutes from time, Reese Fleet heading in the winner there and David Oldfield's doing a very smart job there at Oxford, isn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Oxford's um, uh, rise up to second in the table. It's another one where the, where it seems to have, have happened very much by stealth. But yeah, they're they're, they're up to second in the table on merit. You know, uh, David Oldfield's um, doing a fine a fine job there with them. And yeah, you know, that's um, you know, Hungerford's not an easy place to go. We know that. Um, but yeah, coming away from there with three points, I'm be sure to be more than happy. Yeah, haven't are in the playoff places, but they slipped up as well at home to a Bath City. Tommy Wright got the goal for Haven't and Waterlooville, but three goals from Bath two in the first half from Jack Batten and Cody Cook before a third was added in the second half from Alex Fletcher. So I set back there for Paul Doswell's side and also Hampton and Richmond Borough. We we spoke to Tom on the WhatsApp group, and he was really disappointed. Hampton are in a bit of a rut at the minute, and they lost to struggling, a struggling Hemel Hempstead side in the end. It was a goal four minutes from time from Craig Fassamande, which got the winning goal there. An interesting game down at the bottom as well, an Essex derby between Concord and Braintree. That point keeps Braintree above Billericay. Uh, they fell behind in the eighth minute, Braintree to a goal from Lamar Reynolds, but they soon got an equaliser. It was Aronik Krasaniki with the equaliser before Carl De Costa put Braintree ahead. But just two minutes into the second half, they were pegged back again by Concord. Lewis Simper with the equaliser there. Slav, they beat Tunbridge by two goals to one. They fell behind Slough to a early goal in the eighth minute from Thomas Beer before Alfonso Tenconi and Aaron Cool got the winner there and he kept his cool to give Slough all three points. Peter Taylor's well in. They've got back in a bit of a rut again. They ran into Eastbourne Borough who were having a good season. Charlie Kendall with the opener there before a goal in the last minute from Dominic Hutchinson sealed all three points for the away side. And uh, that is it, guys. Thank you, for, thank you very much for joining us. No, you're very welcome. There's an, an awful lot to get through, as always. But, um, yeah, it's uh, always nice to spend time in your company talking about the National League. Yep. Cheers, guys. Yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms. Give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time and also on Instagram. Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very, very soon. 